the Bodybuilding Dietitians podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 132. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tara and Jack. Now today we've got another Q&A lined up for you. So we're going to jump straight into this first question. It says, are you guys able to eat any meals together being on such different macros? Yeah, we certainly do eat meals together mainly the evening meal or pretty much exclusively the evening meal yeah and just like other relationships we have different schedules for the remainder of the day we train at the same time we sometimes eat at the same time but we have to work around our client schedule and whatever else we have going on Mm -hmm. and i think that you and i are just unique in the sense that compared to other couples we're kind of always doing everything together and it's been that way for many many years now i think jack we're coming up on almost six years together yeah oh my gray hairs oh my gosh but that's like almost a quarter of our lives Mm -hmm. gosh let's hope we know one another by now but like literally for like the past six years you and i kind of haven't been able to get out of each other's gray hairs (laughs) (laughs) but you know like going through uni we did all of the same classes all the same pracs we studied for every single test together did every single assignment right we always went to the gym together we had the same job at uq sport now we live together we have a business we still train together you and I do everything together man but it's interesting even though we're total foodies when it comes to actually eating out of our four meals we actually only share one (laughs) yeah it is well I think it's very similar to other people Mm. not that either of us are being defensive by the question like I think we don't necessarily share the same meal no because as as the question indicated we have different macros and different amounts of food we need to eat but Mm. We do still sit down together at the table and eat and chat about different things. And yeah, yeah. Dinner time is certainly a nice time, but I understand that it's, it is a little bit different compared to other couples because obviously they they wouldn't be in that situation. Of course, like the, what we have going here is it's not the norm per se. It is mm. pretty unique. Uh, But just in the sense that, you know, usually people have different careers, they'll go out during the day, they'll go off to different jobs. So then when you actually come home at night and you see your significant other, then that's a really special time to actually sit down, share a meal, usually eat the same thing and then catch up on each other's lives. But Mm -hmm. you and I, because we're kind of always just, you know, always around, (laughs) like we love food and we're total foodies, but like... I don't know, just eating meals together, it's its not that, it doesn't mean that much to us. Everything else yeah. means a lot to us. And I would say I'm a foodie in an energy deficit. Mm-hmm. I'm a physiological foodie. <laughs> but also like, I think meal time, sharing them together to you and I, that's not necessarily something that we think is super duper special. Like we don't put a huge emphasis on, but also when we are both individually eating a meal, that's kind of our own time. Like we mm. both personally like doing something different when we eat a meal. Yeah. Yeah. You like uh, meditating. <laughs> I like usually watching, consuming some sort of media format. Yeah. So like Jack will usually watch like a YouTube video or something, mm. but personally I find that kind of distracting from yeah. my meal. And I like I've spoken about on previous podcasts when I'm eating, I find that that's like my peak point of creativity. I just... 
I go off into a different realm, man, in my head. And I just, I can come up with all of these different ideas. And How do you focus on the food then? No, the food, it stimulates it. It's amazing. That's why I'm like... It I, is literally <laughs> mindful eating, isn't it? It's, it's, it is very mindful eating, yes. The, my mindfulness definitely provokes a hell of a lot of creative thought. But mm. that's why I love mealtime to myself, like sitting out on the deck in the fresh air, just like in the peace and quiet. You have come a long way since we first started dating. Mm-hmm. I remember... I had to be careful how much noise I made around you <laughs> while you were eating. Yeah, now I can listen to the dogs bark and stuff like that. But sometimes if, if you do have a YouTube video way too loud, I'm like, hey, can you turn it down? <laughs> it's interrupting the piece. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's kind of us. We do everything together except eat a lot, a lot of our meals. But it doesn't bother us, you no, know? Yeah. don't feel like I need it. Yeah. Cool. And we like different food too. <laughs> Great. Well, what's the next one? So this next one, it says, how long does podcasting take? Good question. I think we're definitely a lot more efficient now than we used to be. Mm -hmm. We used to occasionally or frequently pause it to retrace something. Or if we said, um, or ah, we would go back and edit it. And now it's usually just one take. And so however long the episode takes, 30, 45 minutes, plus then Tierra is usually the one who edits it. Mm -hmm. And yeah, something else exciting is that we will be bringing out video format soon. So we're having, have some things on the way to create a little podcast setup and... Including a fancy little ring light from Kmart. (laughs) Yes. And yeah, we can't wait to probably bring that out on YouTube and also be able to post some IGTV stuff on Instagram so that we can show our face. Yeah, but I guess it, it definitely does take longer than however many minutes the podcast is. So mm. let's say we do post a 35 to 40 minute podcast. I guess there's there's a lot of different phases to podcasting. Like if you added up all the time that would go into one episode, like you obviously have to, you've got to put out a poll on your Instagram story that takes what, like 30 (laughs) seconds, but then you have to read through those questions. You and I discuss the questions. We decide which ones that we generally want to answer. If we want to like this one. Yeah, (laughs) sort of. I don't think we really prepared for this one kind of just threw it in there on the fly, but for a lot of them, like the more in-depth scientific ones, like you might have to look something up in a book to just clarify you're putting Mm. out the correct information then you record the podcast itself. Even if a podcast is like 35 to 40 minutes, we might've even spent a few more minutes on it because you know, maybe the postman shows up or the dog barks or something or in prep, especially like prep brain is a serious thing guys. And we were recording two podcasts a week during prep. And you know, when you you say something and then you forget what you said, Mm. (laughs) oh my gosh. And then like, we'd have to pause it. I'm like, wait, did I already say that? Like you get a little bit of brain fog there. So um, I found the podcast and prep smoother because like we were, we were so low energy that we just wanted to do it in one take. Mm. That's, that's the gist that I got. I think that you're having a bit of (laughs) memory loss there. There were definitely some episodes there where it's just like, almost like frustration because like I would I know that I'm I'm definitely usually the culprit in this case I'm usually the one who has to pause it I'm like oh god you know like my head's just spinning I'm all over the place I can't get my thoughts straight Mm. (laughs) so that's a little bit what goes behind the scenes and then obviously we record the podcast and then I generally rack up a few steps on a rest day and I walk around the house and I edit it and uh, go through it with a very fine tooth ear (laughs) not a fine tooth comb but 
I just, I, I fine ear comb, a fine ear comb, but you know, there are a lot of podcasters out there and like respect to everyone. Everyone can do what they want to do, but they record an episode and then they just post it online, you know, like they don't even listen back to what the audio quality was, you know, what they actually said, if they made a mistake. And like, I think from a listener perspective, you have to remember that you're taking in content and you're taking in high quality content, you would hope. And also this game, it's pretty competitive. There's a lot of podcasters out Mm. there in the world. And I'm always one of those people who I take great pride in my work. So if I'm going to release something out into the world, I'm definitely going to listen back and, you know, hear what we said. And I really just like to be able to edit out, like if we had long pauses, you know, if someone did say the word, um, we also have to put in our ad segments and everything like that. So it does take a bit of time to actually listen back and do those little things so that from a listener point of view, it's just very clear and crisp and just enjoyable to listen to because you've you've probably heard podcasts before as well like especially during interviews where like they don't even cut out the bits where it's like hey man like can i go to the bathroom or something like gotta take a toilet break or like and then the the worst part is the podcast will be like oh yeah no worries man we'll cut this bit out and then it's like two minutes of silence and like ruffling around it's like what is this why Mm. didn't you just select on the audio and press delete like what the flips (laughs) Yeah, I think definitely cutting that sort of stuff out. Mm. If I was to edit it personally, I I would mainly focus on that stuff. I wouldn't go through it with a fine tooth comb. Yeah, like. I don't know. I just always have that like the approach of like if you're gonna do something, do it right. You know, mm. I I just I take a lot of pride in it. And to me, recording a podcast and not listening back is equivalent to taking a picture and just posting it straight to Instagram. It's like what? (laughs) You're not even going to look at it? Like, what if your eyes were closed? What if your finger was over the camera? Like, what? You're not even just going to double check that it's good quality content that you're putting out there into the world. So that's kind of the way that I think about it. Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular content on our Instagram and YouTube channel. You can find those platforms by searching the bodybuilding dietitians. See you there. So that probably definitely tops it up to like an hour of walking around, cutting out little things, adding things in, and then obviously uploading it, writing a caption. I'd say all up the whole thing for a 30 to 45 minute podcast, at least two hours of work, man. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And then posting on social media and all, all these little things add up for sure. Cool. Well, let's provide the listeners with something that's more sciencey. Okay. Well, what about this question? This one says, what's the best way to preserve muscle when cutting a 15 to 20% deficit for 12 weeks or a 25 to 30% deficit for six weeks? Mm, Good question. And I think it'll mainly depend on the rate of loss that you achieve. So if you choose the first, the second option, which is more aggressive, Mm -hmm. I, we still need to know at what rate you'll be losing weight each mm. week. So typically if it's over 1%, you'll be at a higher risk of losing muscle mass. Doing it, if you're losing weight at under 1% of your body weight per week, you're fairly safe. Mm-hmm. It also depends how lean you are as well. So if you're a very low body fat, so if you're 10% of body fat or lower and you're losing weight at 1% or more per week, it's a safe assumption that unfortunately you probably will lose some muscle mass Mm. but if you're 25% body fat and losing 1.5% of your body weight per week 
I don't think you'll probably you don't I don't think you'll be losing much muscle mass. Mm-hmm. So it really is just taking that into consideration. For me, I'm quite confident in my ability to train hard and maintain my training performance. I would probably choose the second option of a shorter, more aggressive diet. But even here, like, sure, it's more aggressive than the first option. So we're talking here 15 to 20% for 12 weeks versus 25 to 30% for six weeks. But man, like a 25% deficit, I wouldn't argue that's that aggressive. Like, let's say someone's maintaining their weight on 2,000 calories. A 25% deficit would be 1,500 calories. Like, relative to that person, that's not like out of this world mm. aggressive. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm maintaining my body weight on probably around 3,200 right now. That would mm-hmm. be my maintenance. So that a quarter of that would be 800 calories. Mm-hmm. So that would bring me down to 2,400. Yeah. That would be a pretty substantial deficit for me. Mm-hmm. Like, so again, it's it's not as easy as just answering that. Mm-hmm. I would really potentially even trial each deficit option and see where your rate of loss falls to. Yeah. To be completely honest, like I don't even factor the the amount of deficit to that great of an extent. I because some people are going to respond differently to certain deficits, mm. and it depends on their activity level as well and how they adjust and how they adapt. So. I probably do as a minimum, like 400. I wouldn't do any less of a deficit than 400. I'd probably go all the way up to 1,000 to 1,200, depending yeah. on how aggressively or how quickly they want to lose, mm-hmm. whether it's a mini cut or not, what their calories are at as well. And I'll just try and approximate uh, an amount of deficit that equals a certain rate of loss. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like we're talking here just about a calorie deficit, but obviously there's a heck of a lot more things that actually tie in into your success with preserving muscle mass when you are in a calorie deficit. So of course you have to take into account your training stimulus. You have to take into account your total protein intake, your stress load, your quality of sleep is going to play a huge role. So there's a lot of things there, but I would say that if someone is on higher calories, Jack, that's when I would consider obviously putting them into a larger deficit just because they're starting off from a higher point. Isn't a lot, isn't, the term deficit is percentage based. Yeah. So like a larger deficit would be based on percent. So you would take away more mm. calories. You wouldn't necessarily put them in a larger deficit. Yeah. But I just mean like, you know, some people have that buffer zone and Mm -hmm. I feel like, let's say you had a male and he's on 4,000 calories per day. Okay. And you want to put him into a calorie deficit. If you were to only put him into a 15% deficit, sure. That'd be somewhere around what, like 600 calories. Mm -hmm. And to someone who's on 2000 calories, they might be like 600 calories less. Like that is, that is significant. Right. But this dude who's on 4,000 calories per day, 15% deficit that brings him down to 3,400. That might just have him in the slightest little deficit now, because he would have potentially been having an upregulation of metabolic adaptation on that 4,000 calories because Mm. he's really pushing his body limits there and he would have had increased levels of meat and everything. And people generally do have this buffer zone and it's usually like, uh, you know, these are just spitballing numbers, but it may be like 200 to 300 calories give or take. Mm. So this and guy- And you gotta factor in the tracking accuracy as well. Yeah, exactly. You know, so you got, might put this guy into a 15% deficit and you're like, we've taken away 600 calories, but then, you know, after two weeks, his weight might stall already, even though you've technically dropped 
hundreds of calories worth, but he just quickly metabolically adapts to that. So that's when it just really comes down to uh, knowing your client. But mm. that's when I'd say that if someone is on a like significantly higher amount of calories, even though it's percentage based, you probably could be more aggressive in terms of how many calories you cut. Like if they were doing something like a mini cut yeah. compared to someone on already uh, not a super low, but relatively lower amount of calories. Mm. And then I guess the final point is in terms of muscle preservation, you go then factor in how they're training, how is their training set up? What mm-hmm. is their sleeping like? What are their stress levels? So it really is very multifaceted. Yeah, absolutely. But unfortunately, it's not always going to work perfectly out on paper. Like if you decide to do a 15% deficit for 12 weeks, you're not necessarily guaranteed the same results if you did a mm. 30% deficit for six weeks. Mm. Yeah, unfortunately, it doesn't always work out like that. And that's why usually when you're in a dieting phase, like, yeah, you go in there with some initial numbers and you've got a plan, but believe it or not, you're probably gonna have to manipulate the plan every one to two weeks because things change. Yeah, totally. Okay, great. So moving on to this next question, it says, I'm not really seeing the results I want with my coach. How can I express this politely? Awesome. Well, there's lots of ways to go about this Mm -hmm. and I'll let you kick this off so I can elaborate on your points. Okay. Well, I think that no matter what you do in life, you should always try to do it politely. I I would argue that try to never be aggressive or mean if you can. But I think that what really sticks out to me here is just like an open line of very clear and direct communication. Right. Because if if you're saying like, I'm not really seeing the results that I want with my coach, how can I express this? Like, I think that if you have a coaching client relationship, it's really, really important that you have the confidence and you feel comfortable around your coach and you also feel comfortable around your clients to just have open dialogue and speak and be very clear about what do you want? Yeah. So I think there's a few points I would touch on here. And point one is if you feel like you're not getting the best results from your coach to play devil's advocate, is that you as a client or mm-hmm. is it your coach? Yeah. So that would be me being a little bit mean. And But you could be mean to either one, right? Yeah. And then the second point would be, is does your coach have the skills to actually be a better coach for you? Mm-hmm. So for example, let's say your coach is a nutritionist, like not, not a sports nutritionist, and you're a top level cycling athlete and you feel like you're not getting the best results because of your coach. Does your co- coach really have the knowledge to help you as an advanced cycling mm-hmm. athlete? I would probably say not if they were just a general nutritionist. The same can be applied to bodybuilding as well. So make sure that when you invest in a coach, your coach actually has the skill set to help you. Mm-hmm. And the final point here is if you feel like someone else would be better suited for you, by all means, it's your money. Although you might have built up a good relationship with your coach, if they don't, if you feel like they don't have the skill set or they don't have, they have 150 clients, then they can't dedicate enough time to you as a client. Might be time to move on to a different mm-hmm. coach. But I'm also going to throw it over here on the <laughs> flip side too and say, don't just drop them and say like, hey, I'm not achieving what I wanted to achieve. So see you later. Mm. Like again, have that open line of communication and raise it first and be yeah. like, hey, I really want to achieve this, but... I realize that that's not happening yet. And Mm -hmm. then voice that to your coach and then first hear them out because 
let's let's face it too as coaches sometimes people do voice unrealistic expectations mm. correct through that yeah. yeah so one we need to be realistic with our expectations and our goal setting right and we need to actually set out realistic time mm. frames too so let's say that you're scrolling through social media and you go onto the wbff page and you find a picture of hattie boydle and you're like i want to look like that i want to look like hattie boydle and you tell your coach i want to look like hattie boydle if they don't say first up to you, like, all right, it's going to take a few decades. And then they just say, all right, let's just go for it. We're going to, we're going we're gonna to start you on a training program, you know, and you're going to look like Hattie Boydell one mm. day, but there's like no clear uh, duration in yeah. order to achieve that goal. Then you might be four weeks into your upper lower body split, you know, and you're like, why don't I look like Hattie Boydell yet? So mm. it's about setting those clear expectations to begin with too, but also just just raising these things. So for example, let's say that you're on a training program and you've told your coach that like, Hey, my goal is to develop my shoulders and my glutes. And they write you a program and then you're going through that for eight weeks and you're comparing your progress photos. And you're like, I feel like my shoulders, my glutes just aren't developing, right? Don't just drop your coach, like raise that to your coach and then get their feedback and be like, okay, I want you to send me a video of every single glute exercise I have on your program and every single delt exercise that I have on your program. Then they can watch back that form footage. They can actually see how you're executing these movements. And then they can hopefully give you some constructive feedback to tell you how you can improve your execution on those movements. And then that coincided with good nutrition and recovery and hopefully you're gaining a little bit of weight then hopefully in your next round of progress photos, you should be able to see more growth and development in your glutes and your delts. So that's just a very basic example. But I would say that like, you know, if, if you're not getting results with someone, right, like give it a good crack at as to getting to the root cause of why aren't I getting results? And then ultimately, like, let's say that you don't drop weight for two weeks. And then you raise that with your coach and you're like, Hey, you know, I've been following these macros for two weeks. Um, you know, energy expenditure is pretty high, but I'm not achieving my weight loss goals. Do you think that it would be appropriate to drop food? If your coach says no, <laughs> and ultimately it's your goal to keep losing body fat. And you know that you are still at a body weight where it would be generally healthy to keep losing a little bit of weight, but your coach is adamant that you should for some reason not keep working toward that goal that's when i would then def definitely pose the question of why and then if the coach couldn't give a good reason as to why you shouldn't keep working toward your weight loss goal or whatever goal it may be that's when i would probably consider getting a second opinion and maybe getting another coach mm. Hey guys, just a reminder that we don't just coach physique athletes, but we do coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. Therefore, if you are interested in getting in touch with us regarding our coaching services, you can always head over to our website at www.thebodybuildingdietitians.com or alternatively, click the link in the show notes below. I think that's very, there's lots of different facets to that though, mm. because for example, if the client was already underweight and the coach was saying, hey, I think we've lost enough weight here. Yeah, <laughs> of course, there's so many situations to it. But of course, like generally, if, if you aren't getting results, right, and you're following a plan and your coach just isn't being very helpful and clients have brains too, they know what's going on as well. That's when it is fine to obviously seek out some perhaps better guidance. Mm. Yeah, totally. And I think 
having that clear communication, not only with how they're going to achieve the goals, but what is expected from them and the timeline is just really important. Mm -hmm. And I know that in our first initial consultations, that's a huge thing that we always do. It's like, what do you really want to get out of this? You know, like, what are you really after? What goals do you want to set? How can I best help you do that? And Mm -hmm. we always ask clients too, like, what do you expect from me? Like, how can I help you in the best possible way? Yeah, it's great to be on the same page. Mm -hmm. And I can confidently say, Jack, that the clients of ours who get the best results in the most efficient time manner and probably enjoy their journeys the most they develop very strong relationships with us. And there is always like constant communication throughout the week. Yeah, that's something we really prioritize is frequent communications, the check-ins, support throughout the week. And yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, but training feedback as well. Mm. So I always get training feedback from all of my clients as part of their check-in. And I always get them to try and send me videos of themselves training whenever they can because I find that a lot of people, they inquire with us and they choose nutrition only, which is very valid. Mm -hmm. Like we're dietitians, that's our main expertise, but we are exercise scientists as well. And a lot of people have that sort of attitude towards training where, oh, I train hard, I go to the gym, I sweat. I'm, I'm therefore doing the best I can in terms of training. Mm. That, that is just not the case. And a good training program, but also executing everything to the best of your ability and training hard and appropriate movement selection. It's like it's nine day difference compared to just getting to the gym and, and training hard and, and sweating. Yeah, there's a difference between getting on a leg press and getting on a leg press and really properly doing leg press, correct? Mm. Yeah. And Yeah, especially if people have physique-related goals, like training, that is your big golden ticket in order to properly change your physique. Don't get me wrong, right? Like we're dietitians here, like nutrition, it's incredible. It's super duper important. But if you wanna change the way that your body looks from a muscular standpoint, training stimulus, that is number one. That, Mm. That honestly probably comes, protein intake is of course important, you need to back it up, but gosh darn, like execution and intensity Mm. in the gym, it's so important. Yeah, if you put it like this, like you could have the best protein intake in the world. Mm -hmm. You could distribute it perfectly. You could be eating an amazing diet. We've seen people do it. Yeah, but if you don't have, if you don't have any sort of training, then your body composition isn't gonna change. If anything, you'll just probably gain some fat if you're in an energy surplus. (laughs) It's legit, right? Like you have to give your body a reason to grow and change and adapt and develop and lift in heavy weights with proper form. That's the way to go about it. So man, like actually getting feedback from clients, like I always tell my clients, like first consultation, I'm like, take full advantage of me, please. Like. Sure, I do a lot of my check-ins via video format, some via written format, but it's mainly video. But I'm like, you are not only limited to this one video consultation per week. You know, if you have any pressing questions during the week, reach out. But also I leave them notes on their check-in forms and on their training templates as well. Like, hey, send me a video of this. I really find that the clients of mine who are getting the best results again in the most efficient way and they're freaking loving their training, they take full advantage of me. They send me training footage throughout the week and I can always provide that constructive feedback. And, you know, sometimes you really just do give people thumbs up and you're like, 
execution's awesome. It explains why you have such a great butt. <laughs> but then at other times, you know, you can always be like, hey, you know, on that leg press, slightly increase that range of motion, bring your thigh down to touch your chest, whatever it may be, or in a tricep overhead extension, really make sure that you're locking out your triceps or whatever it may be, just these tiny little pointers, and it can just totally help someone excel. And a big thing as well is if you are a online coach and you're watching people progress just via numbers, and let's say that their numbers on a certain lift are just going up and up and up every single week, and you're like, whoa, this person's getting really strong on the leg press, but then you see their progress photos and they don't have like humongous quads. Mm. That's when I would put the two and two together and I'd be like, hey, can you send me a video of all of your quad dominant movements so I can actually see your execution here and see if they're actually really recruiting their quads in those movements. So it's remarkably helpful, but yeah, I just can't emphasize enough. If you do have a coach, I really hope that they are encouraging you to take full advantage of their services and take full advantage of just being able to communicate with them and ask them questions and learn from them. Like sometimes I think of coaching as if you pay an entry fee into an amusement park, right? Like it's a, it's a one-off fee, but then once you're in the park, you get to decide on how many rides that you want to go on. Or if you just want to sit on the park bench and watch everyone else have fun on the rides, like it's up to you, but like ultimately you have to take that next step sort of thing. Mm. Yeah, it takes two hands to clap, as they say. Yes. <laughs> and maybe to scream while you're <laughs> way up there up high. <laughs> mm. All right. So moving on to this next one, it says, can you discuss the food as medicine idea and its relevance to you? Wow. Well, I can address the first part and potentially the second part as mm -hmm. well. So food is medicine. Do you, do you think food is medicine? I think medicine is medicine. Yeah. I'm of the same idea. I think a lot of people like to call food as medicine, nutrition as medicine. And I definitely agree with that to a certain extent for certain conditions, mm -hmm. but definitely not as a complete rule of thumb. And a good example would be a bacterial infection or maybe a urinary tract infection. Mm -hmm something like that, an ear infection where you need specific medication, you need antibiotics to help. You can eat all the fruits and vegetables you want, but it's not going to destroy that harmful bacteria. Yeah, believe it or not, you can hit up Sam Coco's on a garlic <laughs> sale, <laughs> chow that stuff down. Put some garlic in your socks yeah. while you sleep. Oh man, turn into a vampire while you're at it. But uh, yeah, when it, I Dude, think that's I think a thing. you got it the wrong way around. What? Vampires don't like garlic. Oh, does it kill them? Yeah. Oh, whoops. Sorry about that. I read the Twilight Saga. Oh, <laughs> Saga? Saga? I read the Twilight Let's books. Let's keep rolling. <laughs> anyway, guys, antibiotics all the way over garlic. <laughs> but I think that's the thing, right? Like food is food. Medicine is medicine. Mm. But I think that having a well-balanced, nutritious diet can help you prevent getting to the point where you need to take medications to assist with certain mm. issues. Yeah. And there is a term called the diet disease relationship, which is quite applicable here for certain conditions. So again, like an earache, we can, dietitians can't really help with that, unfortunately, mm. but things like type two diabetes, maybe certain uh, gastrointestinal disorders like mm. GERD or GORD or Crohn's disease, ulcerative, colitis, IBS, and those sorts of ones, mm -hmm. high cholesterol, uh, impaired triglycerides, you name it, 
dietitians can help. And you can achieve a hell of a lot in those conditions without medicine, mm-hmm. uh, potentially more so for things like IBS and GERD, GORD, and like blood cholesterol mm-hmm. levels and triglycerides, potentially not as much for the actual diseases mm-hmm. like Crohn's disease. But for example, even the different fiber types you consume can help your blood cholesterol levels. For type 2 diabetes, uh, the types of carbohydrates you consume, advocating weight loss if required, for example, can help significantly. So Yeah, absolutely. Like just making a massive lifestyle change mm. there, that's going to be hella conducive to being able to hopefully reverse some of those symptoms. Yeah, so in most, if not all circumstances, food just won't be as effective as medicine. Mm-hmm. And I think there's definitely a time and a place where you should be potentially avoiding medication or trying to outlast medication as long as possible. But there is also a point where you really do need medication and, and food just won't help. Yeah, absolutely. So there's going to be certain types of illnesses or diseases, for example, like rheumatoid arthritis, right? Mm-hmm. Which is an inflammatory disease. So someone could advise you to follow more of an anti-inflammatory diet filled Mm. with lots of fruits and vegetables and grains and fatty fish you name it that's a remarkably nutritious diet that's going to be more of an anti-inflammatory diet but if your doctor is also prescribing medication on top of that please like combine the two have an anti-inflammatory diet but also take the medication right like ultimately please like listen to your doctor and then if you're skeptical about what your doctor's saying then get a second opinion from another doctor. You and I, we're, we're not medical practitioners. We're no. definitely not here giving medical advice by any means. We're dietitians. We, we have worked in hospitals, not yeah. necessarily worked, but we've done our placement there. And that did give us a good indication of the difference between nutrition and medicine. Dude, medicine saves lives. Okay, mm. like if someone's on the well, oncology so does ward, nutrition. Yeah, of course, they combine the two. But again, if someone gets to the point where they require medication in order to survive, they need to take that medication. You know, like gosh, pharmacology has come so far mm. in the in in even just the last few decades, or like especially in the last century. Like there's penicillin was made first world war, I think. My gosh, like there's things now that people used to just die from, right? That we can now just fix with a pill or a tablet or an injection. Or a vaccine. Or a vaccine. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, guys, like honestly, uh, unfortunately, like food can definitely assist with your health and actually getting to that point. But once you get to that point, you might be in a circumstance where you might temporarily have to take some medication and Mm. that's okay. That's all right. I think this is a good point to end. All right. Great. Well, we'll finish on one thing each that we learned this week. Well, what did you learn? So mine seemed to be centered around a lot regarding Instagram. And I think mine last week was about Instagram. But I learned something new about Reels, which we're having a fun time making. Go check out our two most recent Reels. (laughs) And I think something... I was just doing a little bit of research on like how to maximize the engagement with them. And I learned that... Well, I piece two and two together. There's no like direct evidence for this, but I think if you upload a full video without cut into segments, so like let's say you make it on TikTok and then you just post it on Instagram as well. Like Instagram, unsurprisingly, will try and decrease the engagement from that reel if it's from TikTok because they don't, they want to decrease the competition. Yeah. So in order to get away from that, because one of our, 
one of no all of our reels so far it's just been one video that we've that i've made in like canva or Final all Cut except Pro, one all <laughs> except one and so what we did was just posted that as like a 25 15 30 second long reel however long it was and this time we actually made it through instagram and instagram seemed to promote it a lot more substantially than our other ones which was just one big long video mm-hmm. so that's just something neat that i learned and i mean looking at the reason why it makes a lot of sense yeah certainly does and uh those are just so fun to make i'm actually mm. really enjoying making reels you know because yeah. like we gave youtube a go who knows we might get back on youtube but like i mean our most recent fun. our most recent reel got over 20 times more views than our YouTube videos. Yeah, and it takes way less time to make. It's not like as overwhelming or like you don't have to commit to as much. Like mm. it's just, it's fun. And I, I'm having a lot of fun with them too. But uh, I feel like these last two, I've kind of been the actress in it. So next one, we got to make sure that Jack is the star of the reel. Oh, I'm fairly happy coming up with the ideas and being the director. Come on, man. You can't just hide behind the camera. <laughs> you got to get in front of that thing. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I, I think Boston's next up. Is Because Sam was in a reel, and now it's Boston's turn. Mm, okay, either Boston or Jack. I'm, I'm or re- both. Yeah, yeah. maybe you guys do the one. Ma- the male combo. Yes, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, those are a lot of fun. Great. Well, what did you learn? This week, I actually learned something interesting about vitamin D that you and I actually didn't learn through our dietetic studies or nutrition studies, but it became aware to me this past week in that vitamin D actually shares a relationship with melatonin synthesis. And uh, it's quite interesting. And it it makes a lot of sense, of course, because, you know, vitamin D, it's like that sunshine vitamin. And as we know, the sun rises in the morning and general recommendations are at least like within the first few hours of your day, get outside, get some sunlight exposure, get some sun on your skin, get some sun in your eyes. Like, get some vitamin D into you. That's a really great way to start the day. And also it majorly helps with your- But not end the day. (laughs) But that's what I learned, okay? So as we know, like we get vitamin D from the sun, but unfortunately some people, they can't get adequate sunlight exposure. Or even if you do go out in the sun in the morning and it helps you wake up, you might not be exposing a lot of your skin to vitamin D because it might be cold where you live and you might be rugged up. So you're not actually synthesizing more vitamin D. So in that case, you would need to take a vitamin D supplement to ensure you're not deficient in vitamin D. But because vitamin D shares this relationship with melatonin, there is some literature to suggest that the timing of the day in which you take vitamin D actually has an influence on your circadian rhythm and therefore it has an influence on your quality of sleep. So it's generally recommended that if you are supplementing with vitamin D, you actually take vitamin D in the morning, coincided with a meal that has a decent amount of fat because vitamin D is a fat soluble vitamin compared to actually taking vitamin D at nighttime. Because if you take vitamin D at nighttime, let's say right before you fall asleep, it could potentially interfere with melatonin and then potentially interfere with your quality of sleep. So that's just something that I learned, right? Like Mm. I don't, do you remember learning anything about dietetics? No, but it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, guys, get the D in the morning. (laughs) Anyway, wrap this one up. Um, All right, guys, thank you very much for listening. If you did enjoy, please take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag myself, tag Jack, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we'll catch you next week.